everybody. Welcome back. Episode two of The Reserve Tank. This is your host, Sam. Today we're here with Brett Tax. He is a freelance writer, world traveler, travel guide, professional adventure motorcycle instructor, former host of Moto Trek. You've probably seen his face on those videos. His students range from U.S. Army Special Forces soldiers to novice travelers. He's also the co-founder and lead curriculum developer for Puget Sound Safety Off-Road. That's PSS Off-Road, more commonly known. He's also earned a reputation as one of the U.S.'s top experts in motorcycle safety and training in both street and off-road arenas. On top of that, he's expanded his education and curriculum internationally, and he's well-regarded in India, New Zealand, Colombia, and later this year he has plans to teach in Kenya. Be sure to follow Brett on his new YouTube channel, Brett Tax. Okay, that's T-K-A-C-S. And also his website, bretttax.com. Hey, Brett, how you doing? I am absolutely exhausted and happy to be here. (laughs) That's a, a, you have a quite the resume, my friend. That is a good thing. I know you're well regarded in this space. Uh, I can't wait to kind of talk adventure motorcycles with you. For those of you that have been to the IMS show, Brett Tax was with us uh, at the Adventure Out space uh, last year, uh, talking about all sorts of great things, all amazing knowledge for you as motorcyclists to expand your travel plans and to be a better rider and common tips and tricks that you may not ever think about until you experience them yourself. So that foresight and knowledge is a very good thing. we're going to talk real quick, Brett. I want to ask you, because I think a lot of people who don't know about adventure bikes um, are kind of curious whenever they see them. I get this whenever I go out on a ride, even in the city, and I'm on my Tiger 800. Uh, I pull up with a bunch of sport bike dudes, and they're like, what kind of motorcycle is that? Um, we're going to talk about a little bit of how people get into adventure motorcycling. Uh, I had a really strange way of getting into it, which was, I thought, the reverse. Uh, I met... The guys over at Rawhide, I tested a BMW uh, 1200 GSA, didn't even know that motorcycle existed. And this was pretty early on in my career as motorcycles. I'd been riding for about two years, uh, a lot of street. And then I came across this motorcycle. And then I was invited to ride that bike off-road. And so I kind of feel like I did it backwards and that I started on a big 1200 adventure. And then I got pushed more to dirt biking. So... I always thought that was kind of maybe the wrong way or not, maybe not the best way, but how would you tell a lot of people like, Oh, that sounds really interesting. How should I get into adventure motorcycling? Well, you know, the ironic, I believe your story is more common than not. I think most of the riders I end up working with and training with start from the street and we end up kind of in that uh, after family life kind of phase as our, our kids are growing up or they've moved out and we have the money, we get these big bikes. And so often these are guys coming from big touring bikes, Harleys, Goldwings, and they just want to try this, this new type of travel where they want to go out to these ghost towns that they just didn't want to bring their big bikes to. And they show up on these big, massive bikes. And let's face it, if you've been riding around an ultra classic, a 1200 GS <laughs> doesn't seem so big. <laughs> until you get in the dirt. And I uh, I was one of the few, I think, started from the, the smaller side, although I was not a dirt rider as a kid. I, I got into it in my 30s. And I got into dirt because I wanted to be a better street rider. I wanted to slip and slide and learn how the bike reacts. So I, I came to it from a very different angle. But, you know, Paul, who teaches with me all the time, he's my right-hand man, he did exactly the same thing you did. He came from a Harley. Well, 
I'm not sure what you had before, but he had a Harley. He he got a 1200 GS because it seemed light, got out there, realized it was a problem, and then turned around and bought a WR250 dual sport. Mm. And so he could learn, you know, how to ride the, the lighter bikes off-road. And then he ended up buying a WR250 dirt bike so he could perfect the skills. And now those bikes have gone away and he's still on a on a 1200. But I think that's more common than not. It's older guys, you know, in their 40s, 50s, 60s, and coming from the street. Either they rode dirt bikes as a kid or they've never been in the dirt before. And that seems to be the norm. I feel like I feel like there's still hope for me to become an amazing adventure motorcyclist. I got in early, baby. 30, <laughs> 30, 20, 28 years old is when I first rode that GS. Well, so, well 28, 28 is young. You're just a kid. I don't ever oh, see anybody at that age, man. I'm telling well, when you got into it, with you know, at the camps and the tours, the the things I do training with, if I get somebody in their 30s, they are absolutely on the low end, you know, of the of yeah. the spectrum. And and I got into it uh, quite young as well. When I started adventure riding, I was in my uh late mid 30s is when I got into it. And and again, that's really early for this industry. Now, the beauty of this is that at my age, I still have a long time where I can stay prime in this industry. Because let's face it, if it's road racing or motocross, I'm way past prime. Oh, uh, that 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 kind of riding, I, I admire it. But, you know, jumping a 250, 80 feet, I'm like, mm, no, nah, I'm good. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> I mean, and it is, it's, 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 an, it's, it's a great skill set. Like if you come from motocross or MX and you're, you know, in your 30s, you, you know, you're tired, you're not racing, you might do that on the weekends, you might go out to like Rower Flats or an OHV park and, and still and still rail. Um, but it's a different kind of riding adventure motorcycling, it, it kind of blends the light dirt off road elements, technical riding with the touring element. That's kind of how I've always seen it. And people are always like, Oh, you can't take a big bike there. And I'm like, eh, that's where the skill set comes in, right? And, you know, that's and it's a really good point to bring that up because this is where a lot of riders don't understand. They go, well, I, I, I rode dirt bikes as a kid and, and this is different or I've never been in the dirt. But adventure bikes are so unique in the way you ride them that often it, it's not a hindrance to start from from scratch, you know, coming into the adventure world. Small bikes are, are they're fun, but they have a lot of suspension travel. They're lightweight. You can throw them around on the dirt. You can throw them down in the dirt. You can tumble down hills with them and drag them back up the hill. You don't right. do that very well with an adventure bike. And the biggest difference, the, the number one difference between an adventure bike and one of these small dual sports or dirt bike is they don't crash like a dirt bike. Nope. I mean, they when don't. they go down, there's a lot of weight. You've got, you know, five, six, 700 pounds of of machine tumbling behind you, you can get really hurt really fast. And right. we also end up in a lot of places where there's no cell service, there's no help, there's there may not be a lot of traffic. And it's the and this is why adventure bikes are wonderful for for the the natural demographic for it. You know, this this older rider is the only thing debatably that gets better with time is our judgment. And right. our ability to stand back and to look at things and to think through situations as opposed to just going all out, twist the throttle, let's go. And adventure, uh, adventure riding requires that thought where you have to look at the terrain. You have to think through things. It's more about precision and strategy and, and patience sometimes as opposed to just, 
you know, raw testosterone and twist the throttle and, and, you know, let the speed take you there. You know, and that's one of the things I actually really, really like about your videos um, on YouTube. So, like, if, you, if you've gotten into adventure motorcycling, you've gotten out there, you've ridden in the dirt, you've experienced what it's like to control the bike. I've actually gone back to your videos before I go out on a trip or anything, a couple of, you know, how to go down a hill, how to navigate up a hill or, like, look for it. I like how you're able to really you get off the motorcycle. You talk about how the, the, the hill would be broken up into sections, where and what the motorcycle is going to do dynamics wise, how it's going to shift, what it's going to change. You can't just go balls to the wall into it and be like, OK, whereas you could probably on like a 250 because there aren't those factors of weight. And if the bike goes down, you'll crack a handlebar or knock out a case, you know, like. So just a little bit of praise to you. Like I really, really do enjoy those elements of your videos. And I think it's a really great education tool for riders, new riders, even experienced riders as a refresher before they even go back out again, or to just kind of keep themselves in that loop. So I have a question for you. I want to get to what are some of the common questions you get asked from riders who are interested in ADV bikes or, or in that kind of overall technique learning period during the lessons uh, that you teach? You know, that's a really, it's a tough question because the range of riders, the people who want to do this are so wide. I mean, we have everything from guys who, you know, they have bad joints or, or bad backs. And so they're concerned about, well, what about not standing? How do I pick up this bike if I get in trouble? We have people who, you know, they have strength issues where they can't pick things up. And then, well, well, how do I pick the bike up? We have height issues. Ah, man, I really want to ride an adventure bike, but... I'm five six. I'm five seven. In fact, I just I, I'm finishing editing up a video right now for tips, writing tips, techniques for short riders because that's a reality. If they want to ride, they have to be able to 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 be able to do that. So the range of questions are so diverse that it's really hard to narrow down to go. This is the this is the the specific question. However, the common ones that sort of come through on the riding uh, techniques, everybody's worried about sand. And gravel. <laughs> yeah. Me. Number one, sand, sand and gravels on the top. And, you know, and I, I'm going to do some uh, some new videos on on those as well and, and some instruction uh, up and down hills, of course. You know, so people are concerned about that. There's I don't hear it as often, but it always seems to come up. People don't seem to understand off road braking. You still get the well, you don't use the front brake off road or mm -hmm. well, you can use it off road, but not if you're going down a hill. Both which are, of course, wrong. Uh, you're, wrong. You're, you're, yeah, you need both brakes, and your front brake does it. And on the other side of that, then we get into the, you know, what bike and what should I put on the bike? And, and that's always a question. Everything from, you know, should I have risers? Shouldn't have? Should I not have risers? Uh, oh, I have to have knobbies. What are the best knobbies? I'm like, you're riding down a packed gravel road. Ride the bike that you have. Don't worry about the tires. I mean, when it's muddy, let's talk about tires. But right. on a hard packed gravel road, this is this is a it people make such a big deal out of this stuff that they forget that this is about the exploration, about the travel. I mean, let's back up a few years and look at what adventure riding was before you know the videos came out with you and McGregor that that changed it into what it is now. Because we all know that's kind of the 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 tipping point that it became popular. Before that, travel adventure travel was not about the motorcycle. It was not about the knobbies. It wasn't about the panniers or the GPS system. It was about how we use the motorcycle. Adventure riding used to be, as far as I can tell, the origins of it 
was a way to designate overlanders that were traveling by two wheels instead of four. Now, people who are traveling the world or traveling internationally and wanted to, to describe the way they did that without saying I'm an overlander. And, and of course, that definition has changed in modern time. And now there's, I think, a lot of different sects, everything from, you know, where we're talking about dual sport riders, you know, traditional dual sport riders, which most of us, let's face it, weekend travel. You know, that's what we can afford to do. Maybe we get a week of vacation all the way to the original where you have people traveling the world on a scooter or a small displacement dirt bike or a large adventure bike. And so there's such a, a such a range in that. But when people ask, going back to your question of what do people ask me, they're always wanting to know what's the perfect bike. And what people don't get from my videos is that my answers almost always start with, well, that depends. Of course, there's there's. There are way too many variables in play to and to even consider like and it's you know it's 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 a tool it's it's it fundamentally boils down to the fact that the motorcycle is the tool you are the pilot how are you going to operate that machine I am been I have been really impressed as I've been in this industry for the last like eight years how the adventure motorcycling segment has grown and and expanded predominantly with like the middleweight range motorcycles you know the tiger tiger 800 rally pro the 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 best of the best which i think right now is the ktm 790 adventure the tenere the t7 uh t700 tenere 700 t7 great um and it has that like it's starting to blend that dual sport world with what big adventure bikes were and people are starting i think also realize that you don't need a massive engine to be proficient off-road, you're already going slower, right? And then it has the power to keep up on the highway. Uh, so I've been really happy to see a lot of OEMs kind of making that shift, moving more and expanding that genre. Well, let's but, let's take that let's take that a step further because you're you're talking about them coming and, and to that realization, but that's where it started. You know, that's oh. where the yeah, that's where the first uh, BMW GS came from was in that range. That's where the KLR 650. That's where, uh, you know, th that's where the whole everything started in sort of this heavy, heavy adventure bike, like dual heavy dual sport uh, were what became adventure bikes. And I think they're just realizing that that was a really good size that 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 middleweight what we now consider a middleweight bike was really ideal if you're trying to blend road travel and extended road travel with you know off-road forays or off-road travel yeah and i think it i mean i in my experiences i mean again a very kind of a limited i'm a young motorcyclist within the last 10 years and i mean yeah you can go back to the 70s and 80s and the dakar bikes and the original you know africa twin Transalp was the Afri Honda Transalp now, the, which is the progenitor to the Africa Twin. But like the Africa Twin, I always felt in the last like eight or 10 years was the bike that really started more of that focus on the middleweight section because you had the GSAs, you had the big old 1200s, uh, like Super Tenere, you had also like the big KTMs. But that bike was so easy to ride off road. It was super fun, and everyone loved it when it came out. It was a very highly anticipated machine. I think the technology also has just gotten better to where middleweights were, are, are more functional as well. KLR is a great bike. KLR is the bike that you take all over the world. Anyone can fix it. But it wasn't as fun to ride as, like, my Tiger 800 or a KTM 790. Again, my own opinion. K 
KLR is is definitely a mule that runs and goes. Um, well, and, you know, and and I think I, again, a lot of people know me through the Motortrek video series, and they they don't know the history that I have in the industry or how long I've been around because social media makes you famous or or well known. It was the and they wonder why I jumped from the 1200 to the 790. And I think you've already expressed why. If they haven't, you know, if they've been paying attention, you've already said the reason I switched to the 790. But what they don't know is that the predecessor to my 1200 GS was an 800 Tiger. And the predecessor to the Tiger was an 800 GS that I spent over 100,000 miles traveling on. And I did most all the BDRs in the States. I traveled through Mexico. I traveled through South America on that bike. And it's just such a wonderful class of machine but with that said the 1200s and some of these big bikes and and the 1190 when it first came out i went over and i did uh, i i traveled the east coast some on the adb moto magazine uh their version they have the 1190 and i traveled the coast on that and then i was able to travel over to italy and i rode the you know the ducati when it first came out the multistrato enduro and mm. wow I mean, those but talk about yeah. power. And I mean, there was so much smile on my face when I hit pavement on those bikes and still very capable off road and adjustable suspension. And they were just fun. Yeah. So, again, it goes back to what makes you smile, what makes you giggle. That's the best bike. If you like that 250, then ride a 250. If you want an XT 250 to travel South America, thumbs up. I've trained a lot of riders who are doing very, very serious travel on very small bikes and having a great time with it. So yeah. It, it, yeah. you know, it, it's, it's all what the rider loves and what, what makes them smile. Oh, agreed. I mean, I love, I love my tiger 800, but if money were no object and I had my druthers, there's something about the KTM 1290 super adventure that just, I love so much. I take, took it on a five day trip up to Northern California and back did a little bit of dirt, on the highway, it was just spectacular. And I'm a tall dude, like I'm six foot five. So I have that whole mm. physical nightmare to contend with. You know, either you're too short to ride certain motorcycles, or in my case, I'm too tall and everything feels like a tricycle. So, uh, but I like the bigger bikes for that reason. I like that they fit me more and I can throw them around. I'm still a big guy, I'm strong. If I have back issues, which I'm starting to have, you know, then I have to run into the picking the damn thing up. <laughs> well, I, you know, it, it, that you bring up a really, really good point that I think a lot of riders overlook, and that's motorcycle fit and the importance of motorcycle fit. You know, I, I, I mentioned doing a video for short riders because so many people are inquiring about that. But in many cases, guys, your height, it's very difficult to take a motorcycle and get it to fit you properly. And often, by the time we get the handlebars and risers and foot pegs, everything into position as much as possible to get it close to being a good fit, then all the the geometry, the bike is all thrown off. The steering is funky, the, you know, the balance is off. And it's just as much a challenge for you. Maybe the bike doesn't tip over as easy. You can hit the ground and hold it up. But from a comfort standpoint, for being in the right position, it's a it's a major challenge. And I even you know, we all have these experiences in life that sort of bring things to the forefront and you become acutely aware of the importance. And when I bought my 1200 GS, it was a, a used uh, oil head, uh, 2008 GS. I brought it back and I was riding it. And Paul, the other instructor I work with, 
he looked at me and said, Brett, what is wrong with you? You look really <laughs> uncomfortable. You look really unconfident. And I'm like, yeah, I feel all of the above. And with the with just what the bike came from, just you know, being able to rotate the risers and rotate the bars, and I was able to get the bike dialed in where it, it provided ample confidence and it felt good. But I'm six foot and I'm just around 180 pounds. That puts me ideal. You know, all these bikes, I, I'm I'm perfect. You know, the, the weight's ideal for all the suspension. The the ergonomics are almost always almost dead on. So I can take stock ergonomics and almost yeah. always tweak them. But, you know, I help a lot of riders. In fact, that's one of the one of the biggest lessons I do on the adventure camps that I that I teach each season is we take the bikes and we set them up ergonomically for the riders. We have them ride the bikes first and we do some training. Then we come back and we do all the adjustments and we change everything around. And most of the time we end up taking off risers off half the bikes and then we send them back out to ride them. And then they understand what works and why it works. And most importantly, I don't do the adjustments. Paul doesn't do the adjustments. We teach them how to do it so that they can make the changes when needed. If you're touring, Tweak your bike, make it perfect for touring. If you go off-road, don't be afraid to tweak some adjustments and make it perfect for off-road. You can't do that if you hire somebody else to do it or if you have somebody else set up the bike for you. You need to understand and you need to feel those changes. But motorcycle fit, getting the height, getting the pegs, getting the handlebars, having the levers tilted at the right angle is extremely important. No matter how good your skills are, how good your confidence is, uh, a poorly fitted bike can change everything. So there you have it. That's probably one of the big, big takeaways too uh, for this episode. I would say is you know once you buy a motorcycle, learn really dive into setting it up. You don't get into a car without setting your mirrors or adjusting your seat position. It's the same thing on a motorcycle. Once you set it, you have it. Uh, let's. I'm, I'm really curious too because like you, you, you teach all these things uh, through the different programs and. Uh, lessons that you have when it came to you being like, so it's fair to say at this point, you're a, you're a YouTube veteran. Uh, you're very well known on social media uh, and for sharing all the lessons via video that you have uh, online. What would you say so far has been like one of your most popular ADV videos and why, why do you think that video is become the one that most people watch or, or revisit? Uh, and right now, the the Mototrek series that I kind of cut my teeth on with uh, YouTube, and I wanted to make some videos, and I had a videographer come up to me and say, hey, let's do this together. And so we did that for a couple of years, and and now I'm doing things solo. I'm, I'm able to do things in places he couldn't go and, and hit topics that weren't necessarily exciting, things like chain maintenance or tire replacement, things that are so critical. But the, the most popular was one that crossed, crossed over. It was you, you doing U-turns. U-turns because ah, the slide. It's, a, it's a low speed confidence thing and, and not even the, the slide turn, but just a basic U-turn. And the other things that, that become popular, of course, are sand and gravel. And because those are the, the skill sets that are, are very challenging. And, you know, I was really surprised when I, when I was approached last year to come to the IMS shows and to do a talk there. And, and of course, you know, they say, Hey, you know, we'd like you to come out and chat with people. And, and what would you like to do? And I sent a whole list of topics. I'm like, I think these are great topics. What do you think is great? And they came back with packing. And I was like, you've got to be <laughs> kidding. 
I said, you've got to be kidding. Here I am. I'm, I'm a world-renowned trainer. I've got 24 years in the training industry. I'm known, uh, you know, I train government, I train police, and you want to know how many pairs of underwear I pack. <laughs> and, you know, but the, but the, re, the, the people were so interested. They wanted to know that. And it was a, a humble reminder because when I have people come to me for uh, the, the training tours and for the training camps, they're seeking me out. They're already at a certain level. Many of them, you know, most of them already know me from, from videos or for articles. And so going to the IMS show and talking about packing, I was amazed and re and humbly reminded of the curiosities and the the newness of riders traveling, even street riders, and not understanding how to lighten the load. They know they don't want to carry so much stuff. They don't know what to leave behind. And it makes perfect sense. When you're brand new to something, you, you don't have the experience to recognize what's critically important and what's excess. And we do the same thing when we're riding. And that's why new riders off-road, they're like, I ride so slow, all my friends get away. I'm like, well, you can't ride fast. Your, your brain isn't there. You don't have the experience to process the information about what's happening yet. Don't worry about speed. It comes with experience, it comes with skill, and it comes with accurate predictions about what's gonna happen. And packing was the same thing. So it was, it was nice that they had selected that topic because it, it did remind me that it is important. And for those that aren't seeking me out, that these are these are very important, very valid questions. And I, since I, I'm an advocate of staying light, because <laughs> you have to pick it up, it turned out to be a, a great topic. I remember, I, rem I don't remember what city I was in because I go to all the shows. So it's all a blur. But I remember sitting at Adventure Out. I think Jocelyn Snow was sitting next to me. You want to talk about a short rider who is an absolute badass. Uh, we were sitting there and we were watching your packing video, uh, uh, presentation and I saw the list of all the things and <laughs> I was like, you're not taking all that on your bike, but you, you, you break it down. Like, you know, what is important to the individual rider? You know, what kind of trip are you doing? What are the variables? Like there is no one perfect bike, but what are the things that you need to take on the trip that you're doing? What are the absolute necessities, you know, like medical stuff or like first aid kits, little things. Uh, and I've even I looked at that list and I was like, I started going through like, I need that. I need that. I don't need that. And part of that also, I think people are so preoccupied a little bit with, oh, my God, what should I pack? I'd say and you might think this, too, is pack what you think you need for a three day trip. Go do a three day trip. Come back. Mark off everything you did not use and get rid of it for your next three day trip outside of like necessities, like absolute like tools and medicines and little pocket camera, any of that stuff. Like I didn't need four cans of propane for my stove. I wasn't eating that much, right? Oh, but what if it runs out? You're not cooking that much. So I also think too, that it's, it becomes one of those games of experience, right? And figuring what you need and don't need. Uh, but I, I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed the packing, uh, the presentation at IMS, I sat there and I was like, this is excellent because you're a very fun and dynamic speaker too. Like you really get in it. So people were so interested in the simple things. And I think that's why some of those topics are so well received. Well, and on, on that list, and, and I did put that list on online. So if people go to the brett I do have a couple of blogs I put on there and I, that packing list, 
I made a, a blog and an article before the IMS show as a resource, so people could go there and and review that list and and the recommendations I made at the at the IMS show. That list was very well detailed. I mean, so we're looking at all the details. What's in the first aid kit? What's what's in my clothes kit? It wasn't just a block items, and it you know, as you brought up, it depends on the trip. When I went down to Mexico, I planned to be up in the mountains. I love to go into Baja and I, I want to be up in the mountains and, and do some camping up there, but food's available. I mean, people eat all over the world. You don't have to bring <laughs> that much food with you. And the same thing with a lot of clothes and things like that. I mean, you don't have to bring everything in the it that you could ever possibly go wrong. We have there are credit cards that work everywhere. There are banks, there are supply chains. You have to really consider where are you going and what is the penalty and what's it worth. And I did exactly what you're talking about. Before I did my first long international trip, which was Central and South America, I did exactly what you did. I was already experienced about traveling in the mountains. I was already teaching people what to bring when they go camping or go on the uh, the backcountry discovery routes and and doing those types of trips, but international was relatively close. And I, I and as you mentioned, I I train for the military, and so I travel all over the country to different locations. And then I have to land, pull out my gear, get a rental bike or or a school bike that's stationed there, and then ride around. And I consistently worked on reducing what I brought with me. And what I did is I would get get back and go, what did I wear? What didn't I wear? And if I didn't use it, I left it behind. And I always figured, well, I'll survive. Even if I have dirty underwear, it's not going to kill me. You know, so how how small a number of, you know, socks and underwear and pants and everything could I get? And it turns out that now I went to India, I went to Africa, I do the, uh, I'll go to like a tour tech rally to do training. My packing kit is 90% complete. Everywhere I go, it's the same stuff because I just worked so hard to get down to those minimums and and not just like minimums, like I'm going to be a street person and you'll smell me coming, but having <laughs> something where I can go to dinner and look decent, you know, go to the lobby where I can have the right clothes to be on the bike where, you know, and, and so there's a balance between being a minimalist, which I'm not being a maximist, which uh, we've all been at some point and regretted and being uh, comfortable. And that's my goal is to be a, a, on the minimal side, but comfortable. This is where some good overlay comes in with uh, with kind of what we call halo industries, right? Like what you're wearing right now. I don't know who makes that, but like Icebreaker makes good hiking gear, uh, Columbia, Patagonia. So having like a lightweight packable dress shirt or pair of pants, like I don't go on any adventure trip without being covered head to toe in merino wool. I feel like it's one of the best you know, anti-stink kind of clothing, undergarments. It regulates heat and temperature well. Uh, there are those really great technologies, clothing-wise, fabric-wise, that I think benefit Moto. And I think they're starting, they've made their way in from other companies, but you can always go to anyone who's doing hiking, camping, travel, any of the, those kind of companies that have really great things to keep your pack light. Um, so, let's see, another question I wanna ask you. Uh, so we've talked about really like young riders or new riders, I like to say, because a lot of your new riders are actually much older than I am. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll say new, new to adventure riding riders, <laughs> new, to, new to adventure. Yeah. New to adventure riding riders. Uh, 
for those that have been riding or who have been in the ADV game for a little bit, uh, what do you think they can do to kind of improve themselves, give them that extra edge? Where where do you see seasoned riders struggling just a little bit? The seasoned rider, I believe it or not, a lot of the riders that I I train in my basic adventure camps and training tours are people who have traveled international by motorcycle who have done the BDRs on their motorcycles. These are not just brand new novice riders. And the other thing that I think a lot of people notice, and I've been asked about this is why don't I have a level two training camp? Why don't I have a level three training camp? And the reason is exactly what you're you know, bringing up. We work on the same skills. Whether I'm uh, an experienced or an advanced rider, or I'm a very basic rider, I still have a clutch, I still have the brake, I still have the throttle, I still have to deal with balance, I still have to read the trail. And it turns out that the difference between that newer adventure rider and the experienced adventure rider is the proficiency level that they're working towards. Mm-hmm. How, how good, how skilled are they at balance? And you'll notice I do, you know, I have a, a series I call the poser skills, and I'm looking forward to making some more of these on, on my channel. And there are things like rolling dismounts. In fact, that's one of the tips I have for short riders, because you never put your feet to the ground where you're straddling the bike, then you don't have to worry about reaching the ground. But these the skills, the, handle, the handle, the handlebar on the pole. Balance, yeah, well, right? I, I did. Well, I did. One, I did one talk about rake and trail and why motorcycles don't fall down. And I the entire talk time I'm riding down the mountain. And my hands are off the bars and I'm talking because I talk with my hands. If you handcuff me, I can't speak. And so I'm talking in front of the camera as I'm riding down this mountain on a gravel road. And what I'm really doing is illustrating the bike is balanced. It doesn't care that it's in gravel. It doesn't care that it's going downhill. It's balanced. And that's, of course, the point to come across. But having the confidence to understand and allow the bike to do that. Having the ability to understand the balance of the bike so you're not wrestling and holding the motorcycle up because that's that's one of the big issues with with riders with limited strength or shorter riders. It's these bikes are too big. I, I just can't handle them. Well, if we learn how to to couple our balance with the motorcycle's balance, if we learn how to come to kind of a I've kind of come to this sort of Zen or this sort of Middle Eastern idea that we have this this balance this orb or this circle of balance that we sit within as long as we can maintain that then everything else becomes easy and that's one of the things that makes me very different from other schools or other trainers that you may have seen or others may have witnessed is i i don't really teach formulas when i teach people how to ride i teach concept you know, why does the bike do what it's doing? How is the ground going to react to the motorcycle? Why do I not air my tires down when I go off road? And if you understand the dynamics behind things, then you can start adapting to the needs rather than, oh, it's a hill. I'm supposed to I'm supposed to lean forward and add throttle. Well, not necessarily. What else is going on? What are the other dynamics occurring on that hill? Are there logs on the hill? Is there a dip approaching the hill? How much thrust do you have? How hard are you accelerating up the hill? What's my load on the bike? Do I have a passenger? And that's where I come back to that. That depends. And my my objective is to help riders new and experienced to understand the dynamics of what's happening. Why? How does the bike work? How does the suspension work? And if my advice is to go out to experienced riders on how do they improve, get away from the formulas. 
Formulas are used steps. Learning to ride by steps is great when you're brand new. It's like taking a, a basic rider class. They teach you how to get on the bike and you stand on the left side and you reach across, you squeeze the brake, you get on the motorcycle. Well, that's great if you've never done it. But I teach people to mount off the high side of the bike. There's right. times we don't squeeze the brake. It, the idea is that you learn a formula to get started, but you have to evolve past those step-by-step -step instructions that are so often the premise of, of rider training. Right. Once you once you start riding and once you've actually have most of the basics down, it's not a it's not a linear progression anymore. It's it can go in any which way, any which direction. And you want to be able to connect and 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 put those concepts to proper use. It's more like spatial thinking in the way I look at it, too. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's a, an example of this. I, I posted uh, a new YouTube video on my page about trail breaking and it was one of the talks that i did when i was in new zealand i traveled all over new zealand and i did a whole talk series with uh, uh they call it shiny side up and the government you know sponsors this for rider education and, and entertainment and one part of that talk was about trail breaking and i i gave it was just a 10 minute short on how it works and why it works for street riding it's not a you know how to shorten my wheelbase and decrease my rate to turning quickly to get around the car, drag my knee. It wasn't about that. It was all about street riding. And the comments that people have are just uh, indicative of, of those that are either looking for confirmation, they want to hear somebody say what they want to hear, or they have a belief. And if you challenge their belief, you must be wrong. Instead of stopping right. and going, listen to the talk, listen to the words, open up, don't, don't, Listen to me to confirm what you want to hear. Don't listen to me and then want to just, you know, close it down. Listen to what I'm saying very specifically and open up your mind because it does go back to those dynamics. And the idea was that whole talk series, that three-part talk series that I posted was really about challenging the thought process that we currently have or the belief patterns that we have as motorcyclists to go, maybe we need to open our minds and think about riding from another perspective. And when you do... The world becomes a whole new, uh, uh, let's see, a better way to put this. When you do open your mind, it just, it broadens the enjoyment and the safety and it makes motorcycling that much more enjoyable. And that's that's what the whole point of it was. And so I, I would say for off-road, for adventure riders, it's the same thing. I mean, if you believe that, well, you can't use the rear, you know, you you have to use the rear brake, you know, off-road or going downhill, you can't use the front, you'll you'll flip over the handlebars. Well, slow down, think about it. If right. you go, well, I don't want to use ABS off-road or I don't want to use traction control because it's going to hinder my ability to ride. Well, you haven't ridden the 790 yet. <laughs> you know, yeah. These, yeah. You know, the technology is amazing and it's changing. It's a constantly changing target. You can't say, well, I tried it two years ago and I didn't like it. Well, things have changed in two years. So we have to keep mobile in our minds. We have to keep fluid and, and allow ourselves to evolve with, with technology and with new information and new techniques. Agreed. And I think that also even I think the easiest way that a lot of motorcyclists can even start that process is get on different motorcycles, too. I think a lot of motorcyclists get that that laser focus on what they like and what they believe. And they're like, you know, I ride a I ride a cruiser. And that's all I've ever ridden. And they're the best. I'm like, you should try an adventure bike. You should try a super naked. You should try a middleweight naked it might blow your mind. And that's the first step. 
because that's what the adventure bike when i rode that 1200 did to me all i knew was cruisers and cafe bikes that's it maybe like a dirt bike when i was younger but then like got on that adventure bike and i was like oh my god wow look what this thing can do and then i got taught how to ride it and i was like oh my god this is the best thing ever right and then it, 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 that, that then precipitated my learning experience where I was like, oh, these track techniques also semi-apply to off-road. Uh, these off-road techniques have made me a better street rider because I'm comfortable losing traction and control and I don't freak out. Right? So I have uh, one other question too because we, we just did talk about bikes and you talked about how much you love that KTM 790. I'm guessing that's the bike you're on right now. I, I did switch over the the 790, and I'll tell you, I am an extremely fiscally efficient individual. Some people <laughs> say cheap, but I I just consider fiscally frugal. efficient. And frugal, it has frugal. to it has to take a lot for me to to buy a new bike first of all, or to buy or to get rid of a bike I have. And if I ride a bike and I like it better than what I have, if it's not incredibly different then I'll keep the bike I have and, and enjoy it. And I fix up my bikes to, to work very well for me. You know, suspension is usually the, the big investment that I, I do on a bike if it needs it. And, you know, the first bike I did this to was my old F800GS. I rode that. And the first time I test rode, I said, oh, this was an expensive test ride. Yeah, that, that, that's the problem. And, and I jumped on that bike and loved it for years. But the 790 was one, I, I, I did a little first impressions kind of video on Mototrek. Uh, on on a Nest model, and I was like, "Wow, this is really this is really awesome." And I decided that my wife needed that bike. You know, she's on an 800, and she doesn't she didn't think she needed a new bike, but I decided she she really should have that bike. Well, she went down to buy her bike yeah. that I sent her down, but they husband. sold it. They sold it. Well, <laughs> well, they sold her bike, but they had this R model sitting on the trailer, and I'd been talking about it. And most again, the thing that impressed me most about the 790 is the electronics package. It's the most mm -hmm. refined electronic pass package I've ever ridden on, including the other KTM's, the 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 BMW 850. It's just it is so smooth. And she showed up with an R model for me instead, and and I was really you know I I've not been disappointed with her decision to do that you know since. In fact, I just sold the 1200 GS. Because the the 790 does everything I need it to do for for what I want to do, which is I'm still young enough to do really stupid things off road, and I want to enjoy <laughs> doing stupid things off road. And although the 12 the 1200 GS was a capable machine, it was not an inspiring machine. And it, if it was a waterhead, maybe I'd still have it, but not the old oilhead. And the 790, every time I go past a steep muddy dirt hill, I go, I think I can do it. <laughs> and you know, it, I'm I'm driving down the trail and I see the trail above me. I'm like, I, I bet you I could get over those logs and make it there. It just it inspires me to do things I probably shouldn't do. And I wanted to do I wanted a bike that would make me smile every time I got on the bike again. And and it's not the only bike out there. I'm sure there's others that would have caused the same, but the 790 was the right place and and right now it's the right time. And and so for me, for me right now, it's the right bike. That's uh that's a glowing review. I can't. I I love that bike so much too. I've, people have been telling me to sell my Tiger and get one, and I'm like, ah, yeah, I, I I want to, but try to be like yourself, fiscally conservative and responsible, frugal, and I don't think my wife would let me. Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's you know have have multiple bike. I do have multiple bikes for multiple purposes, and I really do enjoy 
them for what they are. What's an item you can't leave home without on your travels, Brett? Oh, absolutely cash. It's <laughs> a good one. Because there's nothing I can't get on the road if I have cash. Now, credit card is good, but cash is king. And especially when I travel international, I, you know, I, I do need the cash. But as far as, uh, you know, personal items and, you know, we'll, we'll just assume that, you know, a motorcycle is in play and, you know, proper safety gear is always, you know, a given. So uh, we'll, right. we'll go outside of that. Um, you know, for me, it's a good quality camera. You know, that, that's mm. my, my thing. I, I, you know, before I did any videography, I'm still learning, you know, the whole video thing as far as producing and shooting video. But before that, I did just a ton of photography. And I, when I come home and you can take amazing pictures with a cell phone. I did that. Almost all my pictures from Africa are with my cell phone, just because of the situation where we were in access. But when I look back and I'm, I'm looking for pictures to hang on the wall or to share, they're the ones I took with my with my good camera, you know. What's, and what, what's that good camera? So I mean, I'm the photo the photo nerd in me. Is, is so I have an A6300 right now, a Sony. I carry a Sony mm -hmm. mirrorless. I, I miss my old Nikon's with all the dials, but for me, it had to be good quality, but also had to be very compact and relatively light. And by the time you start adding lenses with all the glass, then you know your weight goes up. So that, I have a Sony A, A6300. I had an A6000 in Africa. And I had a uh, an eighteen two hundred, you know, uh, multi uh, multi zoom lens on it, yeah. and and that worked out great. And then I carry a small. I always carry the kit lens with me as a backup. So if I break the lens, I don't end up without a lens for my camera. Uh, lesson learned. But you, it was. If you want to get that analog feel, Brett, you should check out the Fuji system. You'll get your aperture rings and everything. Oh, geez. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> I still have all my Nikon stuff. I have an entire closet full of Nikon if I if I want to make my bike heavy again. But no, I carry with two two lenses uh, and, and that camera. And, and they are because I forget everything. I have a terrible memory. And I do things when I travel. Here's a great tip for anybody that does travel. You forget. You forget where you were. You forget where you took that picture. You forget names. And what I recommend is, you know, yes, take pictures of the amazing things, the big rocks and everything else. But what you'll forget is to get pictures of your bike in the morning with dew on it. You'll forget to take pictures of the street sign where you stayed at the hotel. You'll forget yep. to take pictures of the name of the city you traveled through. You know, document your pictures or, or document your series of pictures by by putting pictures in order so you can say oh, oh these people that was great what country was i in but if you have the immigration you know photos with the name of it that helps a lot and those don't have to be high quality they can be with a cell phone uh, but yeah definitely document your trip and document all the details your food pictures your your friends uh you know the paperwork that you have to get at the border you know, uh, if you're traveling the BDRs, if you're doing weekend trips and and just trying to to uh, to do the backcountry discovery routes or just local trails, take pictures of your campsite. You know, take pictures of uh, the people talking to your friends, or get pictures. Take pictures of you talking to local people. Those are the stories you really share and talk about. You forget about the big stuff. I don't talk about the Taj Mahal. I talk about the teacup I got when I was sitting outside it that was made from pottery. That's what I end up talking about. So those yeah. are the pictures I recommend. And I would I would recommend to anybody too, from, from someone who's been a photographer for all his life, remember when you're done with your trip, the day after you relax, go home, 
load all of your photos from your phone, your really good camera, put them into a folder, back them up onto a hard drive, and put them up on the cloud in three places so that way you can always have them. I go back to photos that I've shot on trips that just meant the world to me with people that really mattered, and it was... I always miss something. You're right. Like my memory, my memory is pretty sharp, but there are little facts or there are little, little moments uh, that tie you back in a way that it's almost like a, it's like a tether, it's just like a tractor beam. It pulls you fully back to that experience where you almost can like smell, taste, touch the experience from four or five years ago. Uh, and that's, that's a powerful, powerful thing. I, I would even step up uh, if you have an extended trip, especially international, is not not just a way to get home, but do it while you travel. If you can get Wi-Fi, upload them while you travel. It doesn't have to be all of them. But even if you're doing a uh, something on, on Facebook or Instagram where you're sharing pictures with people, those are at least saved. They're right. there. And if you document your trip, if you share, first of all, people love hearing about your travels. Somebody cares, even if it's right. only two people, right? But if you're if you're leaving those notes of where you're going and what was exciting, you put those on Facebook or even text messages back to, to family or friends, save those. Those become logs or right. diaries of the trip. And I go back to those to this day to find out what I was feeling at the time because you forget. Yeah, I have a I have a little device that I take with me on any kind of multi-week trip or when I used to do a lot of multi-week trips called a Narbox. It's a you can plug your SD cards in. It's a solid state drive and it saves everything. You can even edit and play with it on your phone so you're not taking up room on your phone. You're able to wipe your cards. Little fun. We're going to have a podcast. I'm I'm going to say it now. We're going to have a podcast in the future. It's going to be solely on photography, moto photography, travel photography, how to shoot, what to do. I'm going to make sure that everyone that's the decision makers uh, at my at my company allows me to do that because I want to nerd out with somebody solid about photos <laughs> for a while. Um, do you have anything final final thoughts to add, Brett? Uh, we can wrap this up. We've had a really great conversation, a lot of good information. Um, what are, what's next for you? Uh, what are you doing? What should give me your minute your minute hit on uh, well, what everyone should know about Brett Tax moving forward. Well, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna start off with what I think the the listeners are care about the most. And that is, you know, I'm I'm a professional at this. This is what I do for a living. I've been doing it for over 20 years. And I know that people can't always come to me. They they can't make it out for whatever reason. And I'm gonna continue to, at least into the near future, continue to produce videos to help riders. That's why I got into it doing the Motor Trek series. That's why I'm continuing on now. And not just for the advanced riders, but also for the novice riders. Anything from, you know, again, you know, how to maintenance a chain while you're traveling, how to fix a flat on the trail, all the way up to, you know, riding off of, I just did one on night riding. Uh, I rode through Lockhart Basin Trail in Utah, and I did a video on how to make adjustments for riding in those very rugged off-road environments and, and what to do. So it'll be a, a vast range and a resource for riders, and, and they'll find that through my website, brettax.com. I'm not going to do any fancy logos or anything else. It's just me, so it makes it really easy. Luckily, I have a unique name because Brett only has one T, which apparently is really uncommon. And my last name is uh, TKCS, which nobody seems to know how to spell well. So I know if you can spell it, I'm the only one on the Internet. That's a win for me. 
So, uh, you know, and then I plan to continue forward with my other training, offering hands-on training at the camps and tours I do. This, uh, in February, I'm traveling to Nepal. I'm taking 10 riders with me. I'm down to six because of COVID. A uh, few people had to back out because of jobs and, and other issues. So I have four slots on that. But I wanted every year I'd like to do someplace, take riders someplace in the world to travel the way I travel, which is a non-tour tour which means it will be an adventure. <laughs> I, all I can guarantee is we're going to land and we hope we have a guide and bikes and then we're going <laughs> to leave, you know, and uh, these are third world countries. And, you know, and of course I'm doing all the work on, on my end to make sure it's as safe as possible that we have the bikes. But I, you know, ironically, I interview the people before I say, yes, they can go. I don't just take the money because it's a team of riders and it's not about rider skill that I'm concerned about. It's rider attitude. Because you have to have people who understand you may end up uh, someplace that doesn't have an actual toilet. It's a hole in the ground. We may go someplace that we thought we might have power and we don't. And although we try to make everything organized as much as possible on the way, we are going for an adventure. We are going and roads may be washed out. We may have to find another way. We may end up delayed. We may end up not seeing something that was on our list because it is an adventure. And so I'm really, really excited to to do that trip to Nepal this year. And uh, and so, yeah, that's that's my future. I'm going to keep doing what I do, keep making resources for riders. And I'm going to try to take people and, and have them experience the world the way I see it. So remember, folks, when you're uh, going on a travel trip, remember to take and pack those fat stacks with Brett Tax. I had to say it. Carry your cash, folks. That's a stick, but I like it. <laughs> I want to, you should, that's, that's a sticker. I would make a sticker out of that one. And you just you just switch the T and the K at the or the, the K and the C at the end, uh, or the C and the K, and then that's your whatever. <laughs> All right, everybody. It's been an awesome episode. Be sure to follow Brett on his new YouTube channel, uh, Brett Tax, B R E T. That's one T. T-K-A-C-S, the unique name, and his website, brettax.com. Also remember to follow the Reserve Tank. You've already, you're listening, so you probably are subscribed. But also check us out at continuetheride.com. Subscription is free. You'll get notified when new episodes drop, whether or not it's an episode of the Reserve Tank, our industry podcast with Robert Pandia, the center stand, a motorcycle industry podcast, Inside the Garage, and IMS Rides. It's going to keep you up to date with everything that IMS is doing, uh, the upcoming tour. We do have our scheduled dates. However, with COVID being what it is, everything is fluid. Nothing is absolutely settled. Uh, but we do want to have our shows. We are looking forward to. We are planning very hard, very long to do them. None of that last sentence made any sense. But, you know, everything's kind of up in chaos right now. Um, be sure to ride smart, ride safe. And we'll see you out there on the road. Until next time, this is Sam. Our guest was Brett. Thanks so much for joining us. Later. Later.